broadcasting from Doksu Village on Jeju Island. This is the Korea File, a weekly podcast about music, culture, and society from around the peninsula. I'm Andre Goulet. On this episode. <laughs> How does Jeju balance UNESCO-certified biosphere reserves and multiple world natural heritage sites with the environmental footprints of more than 10 million tourists a year? Jeju Weekly editor Darren Southcott weighs in on the growing conflict between conservation and exploitation on Jeju Island. Uh, it's, I, I believe the title is Creative Economy Center, and it's there's one of these located in every province throughout the country. The president opened one in Ulsan yesterday. This one was opened on July 7th, um, and the president came to Jeju and, and did the old uh, ribbon cutting and stuff. Um, basically, it's to create a hub of, you know, Jeju loves being a hub. We'll talk about that a bit later, I think. Um, a hub of the creative economy. And it's being run by Daum Kakao, the, of, of Daum and Kakao fame, of course. Okay, so this is so, a way to attract like social media influences in Korea, internet companies. Creative, yeah. Basically, startups, tech startups. If you go up there, it's very much, you can sort of feel they've read a lot of articles about how Google does their office space. Okay. Because a lot of it's got like, it's got play areas, it's got places you sit together, social areas, it's got a table tennis court um, table, it's got dartboards, it's got like a coffee shop feel, it's got a swing. So I felt like I was, um, you know, in the middle of one of those articles saying how Google gets their workers to be creative. <laughs> Venture, Venture Maru is like one of the most modern buildings in Jeju City, mm. and it's right in the heart of City Hall. It's, it's tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of places, there's lots of like kind of special headquarters here for different mm-hmm. things, including the Jeju Weekly, which mm-hmm. you work for, Arirang Radio, mm-hmm. um, Creative Institute. What else is in the building? Uh, we have Jeju Sodi, which is the number one internet news in Jeju. Um, there are a lot of like small startups that rent out space, and, and that is now the Creative Economy Center. But, um, and that's what that space is basically, is for startups to use the space. I don't know if you know Like Jeju, which is which was a, couple, a year or so ago one of the main event organisers on Jeju, and they did a lot of SNS promotion. They were based here as well. You get a lot of those young startups that use the space, and that's basically it. Says in the name really, Venture Maru, Venture Village. So that's basically what it is. Yeah, and Jeju Weekly is in there. It's actually publicly subsidised, so you get a bit of a cheap rent as well so it encourages like small startups to get going okay i was reading an anthology called island futures conservation and development across the asia pacific region in the anthology jeju is described as a relatively isolated place from the rest of the world so i want to discuss the geography of the island how would you describe where jeju is relative to the peninsula and to other regional uh, national factors it is isolated if you look at it historically it had, that's basically that might be what has defined its history and society more than a lot a lot else really the fact that it is isolated but at the same time it's very central to China Japan and Korea um, 
I always you need to remind yourself that back in the in ancient times the seaways were the highways. So to us it looks isolated. It is in the middle of the ocean, but to our ancients that was actually a highway. That was where people moved between China, Japan, Korea, even further afield, you know, down to Southeast Asia. So um, I believe the Kuroshio current comes up from the Philippines, and there are some theorists who say. That's where a lot of culture came up from the, even from the Polynesian islands, and maybe there could have been a fusing there. So I'm not saying that's actually the situation, but that sort of gives us a, an idea about how Jeju, although is isolated, actually we shouldn't think of it historically as necessarily somewhere that's really isolated. Now that we're an hour flight from Seoul or mm-hmm. Busan or whatever, and about an hour from Shanghai, mm-hmm. I think, maybe two hours from Shanghai. Uh, it is like a hub for tourism mm. and other things. As a hub, though, it means that it's become more and more a sort of central location for good and bad. So in 2002, Jeju was designated a biosphere reserve by UNESCO. That's the UN uh, uh, like culture police kind of thing. What's a biosphere reserve? Biosphere reserve is basically, um, it's not a, an area which restricts development. So a biosphere reserve looks at allowing the community to benefit from the environment the ecosystem through uh, business through um, certain models based on environmentally friendly practices so it's not like a world natural heritage site which restricts development around an area which is is, as conserved as it is it's meant to be an area that combine it's called mab man and the biosphere so that that gives you a clue of, of what what the intention is. I believe it was in the early seventies. And, Je- and Jeju is a biosphere because of its unique natural heritage. Yeah. Now, basically, to give you an idea of why it was designated, Halasan is the core, right. and then around there you have a buffer zone, which is basically the national park, mm. um, and then then you have a transitory zone, which covers a lot of the Jungsangan, which is the mid mountain area. But then you have two little strips of core zone which actually come down the south of the island, Hyodonchon, which is one of the rivers, and I've forgotten the name of the other river, but basically they, they come down to the coast, and they're also core areas as well, so because of their quite unique volcanic history and, and these rivers, which were also important to the culture of the island as well as the geology and, and uh, natural history of the island, they're part of the core zone. So it's very much based around, it sort of combines the uh, geological history and as well I think they also have a mind towards the, the cultural history as well. So within the biosphere there are efforts, for example, to brand certain products uh, with UNESCO, UNESCO Man and the Biosphere products and organic um, products, for example, like forest mushrooms, okay. for example. And that shows how it's not strictly about conservation although it is about conservation but the the actual intention is to provide a way of harmonizing encouraging harmonization between society and nature and how people can can actually work with nature so this was kind of a blue ribbon gold stamp for jeju in 2002 mm-hmm. which led to the uh, uh, world natural heritage sites which were inaugurated in 2007 those right. include halasan uh, Gomunurum Lavatube right. and the famous Songsan Ilchibon. So, um, what's a world natural heritage site compared to a biosphere? World natural heritage is much more about conserving 
what we have. Um, whereas the biosphere reserve is more about, as I said, working alongside it and, and letting societies uh, find the best way of uh, harmonising their behaviour with nature. World Natural Heritage is much more about conserving nature and educating about nature and making sure that we don't infringe any more upon it. Um, so I think that's the main difference. And it is a lot more... Of, I think that another big difference is branding between these two because World Natural Heritage is the gold standard, I think you said yourself. So it's much more... It's exploited a lot more in the tourism literature um, and it's used as a way of boosting Jeju's profile abroad. And I think you can see that across Korea. I think Korea, for its size and population, has some of the, uh, the most World Natural Heritage sites or, or certainly World... UNESCO World Heritage Sites. I think it's very, is a very effective tool. Um, and, and from 2007, other things have grown from that, like uh, geoparks? Geoparks, I think that was 2011 or 2010. Um, that one's, again, it's, it's different from the other two. That one's about, um, it also has a cultural base as well. How have human societies been influenced by the, his the geological history of a place? Um, and actually, East Asia is very active in this area. Um, it, it be, the geoparks began in Europe. They were very much a bottom-up response to conservation. But in Asia, they took the opposite route, and it was a very much top-down approach. In what way? Um, governments used it as a way of um, conserving areas and also um, also looking to boost tourism. And that's one of... It's, I interviewed a couple of years ago Ibrahim Komu, who is a one of he's the Asia and Pacific Geopark Network chief, um, and he said geoparks cannot just be in law, but the problem is in Korea and and Asia as well. Not so much Japan and China actually, but he said in Korea one of the problems is it's it's much more a legal approach towards geoparks, whereas actually it needs to be much more community based. Huh. But Jeju's made a lot of changes in that area and recently geoparks, you're seeing geo trails, geo talks, geo guest houses, geo foods and I think there's a lot more community involvement but initially it was the other way around and I think that's a big difference. Where do the Ole trails fit into this? Uh, this, this network uh, around the perimeter of the island is uh, it's beautiful, it's such a special thing on Jeju. When did that happen and was it uh, influenced by all of the UNESCO driven stuff? I believe the first Ole Trail was 2009. Um, maybe it was 2008, 2009. I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but that wasn't related to any of the actual designations. That was um, the response of one woman who went to Spain and um, Som Yong Su, and she went to Spain and she was influenced by the Compo, uh, Santiago de Compostela route, pilgrimage route. Mm. And she went over there and saw it and said, we have, this, we have nature on Jeju that is every bit as beautiful as here. We can do it on Jeju. Mm. And came back with that inspiration and built these trails. Um, so I think that wasn't a conservation. Um, the goal wasn't conservation. It was much more how to enjoy Jeju. How it, can people enjoy Jeju? And this has been sort of just like a happy tandem evolution. Right. Uh, I'm sure one couldn't have happened without the other, really, right. to such an extent. They've definitely sort of synergized and built on each other. There. Right. The UNESCO sites are a feeder to like, right. these trails. Yeah. Have there been any other big coups for the mm -hmm. island in like, garnering recognition for these sort of things? Well, 
One of the biggest coups, as it were, was the World Conservation Congress in 2012, which was uh, held at the ICC Jeju. Um, I have to I have to say now though that I'm not. It sounds like I'm singing the praises of Jeju conservation, but that's not a position I take. But what Jeju is very very good at is using mechanisms, in, especially through international organisations, using those mechanisms to build its own brand. And it's also very good at conserving those parts that are protected. The the World Natural Heritage review assessment gave Jeju one of the best ratings possible. Um, for people who live on Jeju that might be hard to believe because actually we, we see a lot of the rampant development, reckless development that seems to be threatening the environment here but in terms of their duties under international instruments and international designations Jeju does very well and it uses those very well and so we had the World Conservation Congress in 2012 um, which a lot of people might have had you know, problems with and people did protest at that time. Of course, we had Gangjong at that time. There was a lot of protests around that. Or people protested about other forms of uh, mismanagement. Of Gangjong the is the naval base being built on the south part of the, south part of the island. Right, and it wasn't allowed to be mentioned at all mm. in the Conservation Congress. Um, and people were, were barred from entering it. So it is important to say that. Um, and Jeju's very good at but as I said, it's very good at using international designations and international organizations. And Korea is very good. I think as a middle power, Korea knows very well how to use international mechanisms, how to use international organizations to boost its profile and also to safeguard it as well. Um, it's very skillful at doing that, I think. Although, that as, we, as I'm saying, there are misgivings as well, but we should recognize as a strength as well. So, so even as tourism changes the face of Jeju. Part of this is due to the public recognitions and the UNESCO heritage and everything like that. Uh, but that happens hand in hand with a lot of these setbacks that come with having in, like massive increases in tourism. So I want to talk a bit about the history of the island's economics and stuff. The economy of the island was driven primarily by agriculture prior to the 70s uh, before the Park Yonghee regime launched a five-year development plan targeting the island for tourism development. It grew into a hub for domestic tourism and it was known for decades as the honeymoon destination for Korea's middle class and also as Korea's Hawaii. So that's about the same time that the island imported all of these palm trees, right? Mm -hmm. Like early 70s? Right. I think at that time, for a lot of the Park Jong-hee era, um, Koreans were not really allowed to travel abroad. So Jeju was not only did people feel it was exotic in a way it was exotic because it's the furthest away that a lot of people could travel economically it was also as far as they could afford to travel right away. right okay. um, so yeah I mean that's where the island actually grew from isn't it really mm -hmm. um, and, and it was the beginning of the incredible socio-economic transformation mm -hmm. of the last 30 years including an economy expanding exponentially year by year a population increase of more than 100,000 people mm -hmm. since the mid 80s and an explosion in the number of tourists from 700,000 in 1985 to more than 10 million uh, projected right. this year. Anything else you could tell uh, me about these? What's interesting about those the population increase and the tourism increase is that it was predicted for years and years that Jeju would have this boom. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the economic plans were based on Jeju eventually taking off 
which didn't really happen for years and years and years. And then we did have these, uh, this avalanche of designations. Were these the triggers? I, I would imagine they were, they were triggers, yeah, because before that, if you look at the figures, I don't have them at hand, but population increase. It's only very recently within the last few years that more people have been coming to the island than leaving it. Mm. Um, and with tourism as well, it's only within the last three or four years that we've seen such an increase in foreign tourism, right. of course, fueled by China. Um, but for years, this was they really hoped this was going to happen, and it's only really happened within the last few years. Mm. Um, and I think we have to look at some of these things we just mentioned around the environment, around the Ole system, um, that have really sort of pushed this on. I couldn't imagine it happening without those to be honest mm. I think it's definitely it's definitely um, they, they've all fed off each other in that respect I think when did you come to JJ? I came in 2007 okay uh, you've lived all around the island yeah I've lived here and there mostly in uh, well Shin Jeju and Jeju Gu Jeju and I lived out in Daejeong as well that's down by Sanbang Mountain right yeah. yeah not too far and you're raising your daughter here Right. Um, so, so, and raising her in a Jeju that you know pretty well, better than many, um, what do you think about the environmental problems as they occur, like, as a parent? I'm very worried about what happens on the island. I've spoken to people quite high up, for example, in the World Natural Heritage team here, uh, people in geoparks, and people in IUCN, and asked them... IUCN? I, I, uh, international... Union for the Conservation of Nature, mm. um, and they, they, they oversee most of the designations like World Natural Heritage and the World Conservation Congress, and they always say, oh, Jeju does a brilliant job, and as I said, they do in terms of their obligations under certain treaties and under certain designations, they do, but as you know, as people who live here know, that that only tells a very small part of the story. So I'm pretty worried about what will happen to the mid-mountain region, what will happen to the sea, uh, the coastal regions. That these are the areas that are not under protection. They're not. There are no. Legal, there are not many legal restrictions, and and the, those that there are can quite easily be um, dodged if you know the right person. So right. So I mean, the environmental problems are wide ranging. Mm -hmm. They kind of converge in three areas. Depletion of natural resources, pollution or destruction of natural areas, and the destruction of self-regulating systems, rivers, forests. Um, okay, so let's talk about resource depletion. What have you heard about this problem on Jeju? Well, one, one area where it might be most obvious is in something like um, deforestation, which particularly was a problem with the pine wilt disease, um, which wasn't managed brilliantly and it led to its spread, and it's still not quite under control. Killing pine trees on Jeju? Um, this was the pine wilt disease, which was spread by uh, a, a, a vector, some, some insect, I've forgotten the name, the, the soya beetle, Japanese soya beetle, mm. I think. Um, and if you looked two years ago, if you looked across the island, you, and it was August, and it looked like it was autumn, because there were red trees everywhere. Mm. Um, and, and a lot of these were felled. Um, and it, it, it continued for two years and it's still with us now. You still see it if you go up to the mountain regions. Uh, it wasn't really managed properly. Mm. Um, so it, when you see problems like that not being managed and, and then 
trees die and people have used that as an excuse to also fell a few others to get them out of the way because you can't develop certain bits of land if it has 30% tree cover something along those lines so that that has been a problem and I don't know I don't know if this is outside of the realm of resource depletion but in January mm-hmm. there was a story in the news about 4000 tons of carrots that mm-hmm. were discarded on Jeju uh, not for an environmental reason but to stabilize the price right. of carrots so is there also kind of like some wonky agricultural policy from the provincial government I'm not I'm not really someone to speak about the agricultural policy here mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure interview a rabbit or something <laughs> yeah. let's go back though to pollution and destruction right. of natural areas where where else do we see this it's a very big problem along the coastlines you have fish farms all along the coastlines which are you know, churning out their discharge into the into the waters uh, a, a friend of mine Sharon Hibbard who did the Jeju big swim she swam around the island uh, cool. to raise awareness of pollution mm-hmm in our seas basically and she said at times she was swimming and she had to to try just get trash out of her face because it was it was that bad and, and at certain points she was swallowing water and it was it was almost sickly uh-huh. to swallow so i think there is a big problem that needs to be addressed in, in that respect what about destruction of self-regulating systems so self-regulating systems means sustainable ecosystem yes yeah i think the biggest problem we're facing now one of the biggest problems is the overdevelopment and what you're seeing is the concreting of of very large areas and what that's going to do to jeju's ability to cope with flood Mm. because jeju has some of the best natural flood defenses it's it's earth it's it's earth soaks up a lot of the rain and so it goes underwater and that's where we get our samdasu Mm. Um, but when you concrete over that, Samdasu, that, the famous water that right. is exported <laughs> around the country. And so I, I sometimes I live in Aradong, which is on the the it's an area which is it's basically a suburb now of Jeju City mm. was once a rural area, and I look up to the mountain and see apartment blocks everywhere. And only ten years ago, that was all arable land, all farmland, mm. um, and now it's it's concreted over so when it rains all this rain is going a lot of it's going straight into the sandy turn which is the one of the main rivers that it connects out right to jeju port um the estuary goes out in right yeah yeah it goes near dongman market and actually we saw although this wasn't only caused by this increased runoff it was also caused by a storm surge but when Typhoon Nadi came in 2007, that was the area that was worst hit and people actually died because of the flooding there. Now, I don't know, I, I don't know how much of that was caused by overdevelopment and the, the water not being soaked up by the land. But as you know, if you do overdevelop areas, then when it rains, then you do have a problem of flooding. And I think that also causes a problem in the productivity of our farmland as well. Um, so that does worry me because I, I don't see this development stopping for quite a while yeah. and also storms are going to get more frequent this year is supposed to be a record year for typhoons I've heard so we've already had about two or three or not a direct hit right. so you know as that happens and that increases I mean it's, it might not be a big difference to our lives you know but to individual people it could wreck their lives mm. and um, it is something we do need to think about and I think right now we don't have any I, I i'm not sure we have a holistic approach to development on jeju that looks at these issues because it's all done piecemeal 
so I think that would that's a big thing that 10 years down the line we might we might reap the rewards of uh, if, if you will so hopefully hopefully it doesn't affect each of us too much but it's something that could have a big effect and I certainly think water on Jeju is very precious um, we don't have much groundwater here but our is probably one of the most valuable things mm. to the island so um, I'm just I do worry about that particularly how the island can cope with increased deforestation and increased development <laughs> That's The Korea File for this week. New episodes of The Korea File are up every Wednesday on iTunes and Stitcher and as a feature contributor at eslrok.com, koreafm.net, koreabridge.net, and blogtalkradio.org. Remember to like us on Facebook. Next week, Schmooze Fest of Influence Peddling or a boutique event for Korea to expand its stature on the world stage. Join me for more of Darren Southcott on Jeju's annual World Peace Forum. From Duxu Village on Jeju Island, I'm Andre Goulet. 